sound speed. Sweet mouth candy. Uh, tape is rolling. Yeah. And we're going to get started in three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. Once again, I am Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And thanks for tuning in. Like every week, make sure that if you're listening to this on iTunes, you subscribe, you uh, leave a comment, let us know that you love what we're doing. Because um, it helps us get to the top of the charts. And we love being at the top of the charts. Uh, it helps your friends find it. And people who aren't your friends find it. Because we're the retrospective that's introspective. Oh, I like that. Thank you. I also like the idea that maybe you can use this podcast to build a bridge between you and someone you don't like. Ooh. Like you both find this podcast after it gets highly rated, bumps to the top of the charts, you both find it. Mm-hmm. And then one day this person that you've spent years just just building up like a, a bitter, venomous, bile-driven animosity towards, you overhear them casually talking about the latest episode of Missing Out and you say to yourself, my God, we're not so different after all. Ooh, I like that. That's a good narrative. Uh, I also like the idea of, uh, I like the idea of it being something really stupid and asinine that we've said before. So it'd be like, they're like, oh man, that Oprah sitcom buddy cop thing. And then they're like, can I be your Oprah to your Oprah? Is that something we talked about? That is, de- it, it is. Um, but again, real asinine and dumb. I feel like you've reminded me of this one before. Um, I always do. Every day, every time I see you, I'm like, Lex, you're the Oprah to my Oprah. And you're like, there's only one Oprah. I don't understand that reference. And I'm like, okay. And I shrink into my own self. And then I wander the world, a lost man. Huh. Yeah. You did that to me. But like, isn't it? Okay, so isn't, you know that that saying of the the parable about uh, I'm paraphrasing, but why did God essentially create uh, a reflective universe, a mirror universe? Uh, essentially, it's so he could say that he was singular. He, it could say it was singular and it would be heard. It's like Oprah in a way. Ah, and that's two Oprahs. It it falls apart a little bit because I I can't I can't explain what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I I think I think we could all we could all observe oprah in that way yeah i think i think people who are savvy in speak about mirror universes and singulars uh definitely get that and anyone who knows oprah knows that she's basically a god at this point so like it really it tracks it tracks don't worry about it uh oprah's both order and (laughs) chaos (laughs) yeah think about it and while you're thinking about it I'm going to introduce this week's topic. Um, Today, we're talking about one of my favorite albums, which is In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3 by Coheed and Cambria. This is their second album uh, after Second Stage Turbine Blade. Uh, Their their titles are really hard to say, Um, but yes. And this came out in 2003. The the band is fronted by Claudio Sanchez. and they are still going strong today. Uh, they've released about five more albums since then. Um, they also have side projects like Prize Fighter Inferno, 
Um, and they've also started their own record label. That is Coheed and Cambria, and this is In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3, the second studio album Confusing. by Coheed and Cambria. Confusing. <laughs> I'm already I'm already on the defensive as soon as I hear that. Yeah? Oh, I yeah. mean, well, so they had a, a, a whole motif going. Um, since the... The concept, it's its a concept album. So the concept was already thought of and kind of percolating in Claudio's head. Yeah, so this is, this is something that I need you to walk me through a little bit. So for context, here's what I knew about Coheed and Cambria before you said that I should listen to this album. What I knew, the sum total of my knowledge was yeah. in high school, I had a friend who wasn't a fan. Really? That's it. That's it? That's it. I know nothing else about them. I'd made, I'm sure I heard like bits and pieces of songs here or there without knowing that it was them. Yeah. That was it. So your friend never elaborated. They were just like, hey, I don't know if you've heard of K- Coheed and Cambria, but I don't like them. <laughs> honestly, and then walked remember. away. Yeah, I don't even remember how it came up. I just, that was my, the only association I had in my head is that in, in high school, yeah, just the one guy, not a fan. And I went, oh, all right. Didn't think too much about it, but yeah. I suppose that just nestled in my brain somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so I never really prioritized looking into them at all. Yeah. And so now when you recommend this album, I'm sitting listening to this album and I'm going, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what about it turned him off so much. Yeah. And then I, I like pulled up uh, maybe the Wikipedia to read a little bit about the band and about the album. And I stumbled upon this massive expanded universe that the subject matter of this album is pulled from. Yeah. That I had no clue existed. And I need you. For, I, Tari, I need you to tell me about the Armory Wars. I, ha- I have to know. <laughs> I have to know this entire story. And like where? Because apparently it's being told album to album. It's like, how many of these are there? Um, so there are. Four, no, uh, second stage, heard your mind blind, in keeping secrets, um, good Apollo one, good Apollo two, um, and then one. So there are the black rainbow. So there are five albums and they're being told not necessarily in chronological order. Um, not necessarily. So, uh, the events of second stage turbine blade, second stage turbine blade, um, it, it takes place at a point uh, in the story after a big war has happened and, and uh, the Coheed and Cambria were part of a trio that were basically created as weapons. And then right. and um, they were, I read about this, too. It's 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 like knowledge, beast and inferno. Yes, I think. OK, see. OK, so I'm, I'm actually really proud of myself that I'm keeping even that much straight. <laughs> um, but right. So the Coheed and Cambria, the name of the band, these are two characters within the story. Yes. Right. And it's Coheed. What is that? Kill Ganon. Oh, yeah. Kill Ganon. Kill Ganon. OK. Uh, so, yeah. Coheed, Kill Ganon and Cambria, Kill Ganon. And who give me the name of the inferno person? Um, Jesse. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yes. So, this is basically, if you think of it uh, compar- comparatively to, like, Star Wars, yeah. the first album is basically where Luke takes off. So, it's all about their son, um, basically, is found by uh, this corporation that's been looking for, Coheed and Cambria. Uh, and so, the second stage, Turbine Blade, is about his journey. And then, so, everything after... Um, the events of that story uh, is it's 10 years after that where in keeping secrets begins it, from what I understand it's like a 
a retrospective. So um, the very beginning song is from Claudia's Claudio's sta- uh, viewpoint, and the phone ringing is uh, his former girlfriend, and uh, she picks it up and he hangs it up. And then Apollo, if if you've listened to the the whole uh, first song, at the very end, it's uh, Apollo. Where should I begin? Apollo is their their do- or her dog, and so he's like recounting this tale with the dog. Okay. Yeah, and so that's where the story begins. Okay, is that what was happening in the first track? Yes. Okay, because I liked it as a as a piece, but it's largely instrumental except for the phone call at the beginning. Right. But it felt like I mean, it was a, even the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, okay, we get essentially we get an overture to uh-huh. this bigger story, and I liked to the the melody of it felt like I was descending a little bit, like mm-hmm. almost like I was making just a like a long spiral downwards. Yeah. And then it's like when you get to the bottom is when near the end of the track, you start getting all the... <laughs> like all of that, like, oh, okay, down here, there's some horrible or at least a terrifying uh, uh, genre, not genre, yes, genre, but also reality-defying stuff happening here. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was a really cool way to lead the listener into the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it I I think it's the best way of beginning because it's so instrumental. It sets you up to really kind of just sit, sit back and enjoy the story. And so the instrumentation piece is what one could qualify as uh, a, a Claudio's theme. Okay. So in yeah, and it does come back again later. Yeah, it happens all throughout all five all four albums technically um because in the fifth album is like a prequel black uh, the black rainbow is coheed and cambria story and so it's uh the first track is one and so that's how that happens in terms of the chronology um and so you see it you hear it a few times uh in second stage and then this begins with apollo's uh, Apollo's theme, same way that, again, Star Wars. Um, the fanfare, as described as George Lucas uh, by George Lucas, is Luke's theme. Um, so you you start Luke's, uh, or I guess it's the Skywalker theme. Um, so that's partially why, like Rogue One, didn't have the fanfares because it was it's a separate thing. Sure. Um, and so that is why we start with Apollo. Uh, uh, Claudio's theme. Okay, that tracks. Yeah. Um, so for you, I guess, what were, uh, do you have any like standout tracks or you still want to talk about story? Because uh, I can go story all day, son. Uh, uh, we can do we can do a little bit of both. I mean, like the, the next track that uh, it leads into, which is, what is it called? What is the second the, track on this album? It's the uh, album name. So okay, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so at this point in the story, when we get to this the second track on the album, it's uh, the the Inferno character, right? Jesse, you said. Yeah. Um, where he's taking up arms against the Red Army, and I don't, I don't know what the Red Army is, but I know when I listened to this track before I even understood the the what the story was. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the refrain uh, "Man, your battle stations" lends itself very much to the idea that this is a, a massive scale violent conflict that you're you're is being depicted musically. Yeah. But you can hear it. You know what I mean? Even without that refrain, it feels epic. It feels sweeping. And yes, the the track is 
several minutes longer than your average uh, radio edit, certainly. But it does feel like this really epic clash is taking place in this mm-hmm. piece of music, which is fantastic. Um, the one thing that I noticed immediately or what I was struck by is uh, they reminded me a lot, the sound of it in a couple of places too on the album reminded me quite a bit of Rush, like a slightly harder, more emo Rush. Oh, really? And I find it really interesting that apparently uh, they, the band did not really have much exposure to Rush before this album, uh, which I find odd for a couple of reasons. One being that, yeah, to me, they sound a lot more like Rush than they do any of the bands that I saw them list as influences, but also I find it to be a weird coincidence that the last track on this album is called 2113, which is one digit off from 2112, a massively famous Rush album. Oh, really? Again, now, I'm not I'm not calling Coheed and Cambria liars when they say that they never heard Rush before this album. I'm inclined to believe them. Uh-huh. I just think that's a really odd coincidence. That's true. Though, um... If <laughs> so, if you owned the CD, the the last like hidden track twenty one thirteen is named as such because there is um, there's basically twenty one minutes and thirty or twelve seconds of silence that happens between the last track and this one. Okay, so, like it's a bunch of like. It's a bunch of tracks, but they're all empty up until the uh, hidden track. Got it. See, yeah. when you stream it on like Apple Music, which yeah, is it, how I listen to it, you don't get that 20 some odd minutes of silence. So the meaning of the title is a little more unclear. Like I said, I believed before you gave me that explanation that it was just a, an odd coincidence. Yeah. But yeah, uh, an odd coincidence. I mean, yeah. And even if they didn't list them as uh, references, I mean, I feel like, especially in the musical world, like the different influences just kind of seep in. Maybe someone brings in a riff that they heard somewhere else or someone brings in a a drum beat that they kind of were messing around in their head, but it is actually a reference to something else that they had heard. Right. So like who knows all, how yeah. many bands that were directly influenced by Rush then found their way into the ears of members of Coheed and Cambria totally. Right. Um, which now that you've said that, it makes me interested to hear Rush because I, I don't think I have. I mean, you'd certainly never mistake one for the other, but I just, <laughs> especially when it comes to the vocals, I found that in a couple of spots, the vocals really did remind me of Getty Lee. Uh, but then the, okay. The other thing that I was reminded of a couple of times was, uh, have you ever played Sonic Adventure two? Uh, yes, I think so. Remember the city escape song? Um, yes. That (laughs) reminded me weirdly of that occasionally. Yeah. This would be the time to maybe just drop in a couple second sample of this song. Uh, You could pull it from YouTube or something. Yeah. I'm sure I can find it and I'll put it right here. It does sound like that. Uh, look at the miracles of post-production. <laughs> um, yeah, now, not frequently was I reminded of this, but once or twice I thought about Sonic uh, pseudo-snowboarding, streetboarding down the, the lane on the piece of what, like metal debris that he's on. Yeah. And I giggled. Really? Yeah, once or twice. 
I'd like to imagine that for you, the whole narrative of this album is just a, a background to Sonic Adventures. Well, like Claudio would clearly be played by Sonic the Hedgehog, of course, in any live action adaptation of this material. <laughs> yes, it would have to be, of course, a, a blend of live action and animation. I think we can get Andy Serkis to mocap Sonic ah, as Claudio. Yes, but we still have to get Jaleel White to be the voice. Yeah. Okay, I can get behind this. Yeah. Well, he was the voice in almost all of the cartoons when we That's were growing right. up. That's right. He was, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Wow. I did not. Jaleel White, if you're listening, Jaleel White, if you if you don't know, is uh, Urkel. Yeah. Which I didn't. You're, I, I always forget that he was also the, the voice of Sonic. Mm-hmm. He, like, I can't think of Jaleel White without thinking, Chili Dow. <laughs> so, okay. So here's what we do. Here's what we do. We have Andy Serkis consult on the mocap. Right. We have Jaleel White do it, because why not? He could he could knock it out. We just put the dots all over Jaleel. That's true. And then we get Andy Serkis to play, who's the, the villain character? Robotnik? Uh, no, not, not Robotnik. The villain <laughs> character in the story of this album is here we go. Uh, Andy Circus can play Supreme Tri Mage Wilhelm Ryan. There we go. That ah, sounds yes. like a good meaty villainous part for Circus to <laughs> dig his teeth into. And then he's on set to help with the Jaleel White Sonic the Hedgehog mocap for yeah. for Claudio. It'll be like okay, you know, in Space Jam where Michael Jordan gets top billing, but Bugs Bunny is billed under Michael Jordan as if Bugs Bunny is an actor appearing as himself in the movie as well. Yeah, despite of course being an illustration voiced by Billy West in Space Jam. It'll be just like that. So uh, Andy Serkis, I'm more famous in the moment right now, maybe we'll probably get top billing as Wilhelm. And then second billing is going to be Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Playing Claudio. But then of course brought to life by animation and Jaleel White. Ah, I like this idea. Now don't forget it. Cause when (laughs) those two people come, come together, over our sweet, sweet Claudio <laughs> Sonic idea, uh, you'll know what the hell they're talking about. Uh, oh, dear. You, you know what's going to happen first. This Coheed and Cambria is going to slap us with a cease and desist. I don't think so. I think they'll be like, hmm, I dig it. Maybe they'll take the uh, David Lynch approach where they're like, well, if that's your interpretation, uh, I accept If that's this. what you see, good for you. Yeah. Yeah, you. I, I suppose, like, you could hope. It, like, you'd like to think that, like, Claudio Sanchez would be like, oh, I just, his name's Claudio. I got it. I get it now. Uh, you'd <laughs> like to think, though, that he would take the, the, the track of, like, oh, well, it feels great that my art inspired somebody else's art. Yeah. But I feel like he would probably have to get clearance for the character names. I feel like Sonic the Hedgehog would be really expensive. Uh, yeah, I think that would be the most expensive. I think the rest we could totally like fudge. But I we don't. Could, even mean, I don't even mean just to bring Sonic to life. I mean like paying. Like we'd have no, to have royalties. a deal with Sega. Yeah, uh, and I don't feel like they're big fans because most, especially because a lot of the Sonic fair is often hypersexualized in 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 fan fiction. I think they're real tight about their licensing. Sure. So I, that will be the biggest obstacle. I think Andy Serkis, Jaleel White, they'll be on board. I think Claudio will be on board. Um, he'll even probably want to do the score for it. Um, but we just got to get Sega there. I feel like it would be great too. There's a secondary villain in the in the story of this album called General Mayo Deftonwolf, which is one of the greatest names that there is. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I'm thinking maybe we reach out to like Benicio del Toro. Ooh. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, Benicio. 
Mm. Yeah, I can already like I can already see it. If he's not already doing some collector shit. Yeah, collector like I guess he's he's in Star Wars now. Is he? Yeah, he's in uh he's in Last Jedi. Oh nice. Apparently. Man, that's a he's a busy guy. Yeah. He's doing movies and that one Heineken commercial where they think he's Antonio Banderas. I've never seen that Heineken commercial. Uh, I'll show it to you later and you'll be like, oh man, that's racist. Uh, all right. We will check out the racist, the allegedly, I haven't seen it. I'll reserve judgment, the allegedly racist Heineken commercial. Oh, I'm calling you out, Heineken. I'm letting you know that I think you made a commercial that is potentially problematic. <laughs> yeah. But so, all right. So he's he's doing Heineken commercials. He's going to space in, in multiple movies in multiple years. He's, he's clearly down for some fun, weird stuff. I feel like Benicio might at least take a look at it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, of right? course. So, I think he's in. So, all right. So we've got this trifecta of Andy Serkis, Benicio Del Toro, and Julia White as Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. telling this story and obviously we would just we'd we just use all the would we use all the music um we'd have to right yes um so that's going to be expensive he depends on how on board claudio is he could be like i'll give you guys all the tracks for a dollar because i believe in this project so much and also you guys got margot robbie to play nuo incan hell yeah wow how do we get her um, because she's probably a big Benicio del Toro fan, right? Yeah, right. So, I mean, and how could she not want to work with, uh, you know, Andy Serkis, sort of? Right. Well, I feel like you know what we gotta hope is like Claudio and Margot Robbie are both really big fans of those Apes movies. Yeah, I suppose. Right, and that like everyone's a fan of Benicio del Toro. You see Sicario, amazing, right? So like. Maybe they're all big Sicario fans, and they all watched uh, uh, what was it? Family Matters. Oh yeah. In uh, whenever that was on. Of course. When was Family like, Matters on? It was on in the early, early and mid nineties. That's what I thought. Okay, yes. so in the early to mid nineties, right? They were all probably watching, like you know, uh, uh, Benicio would have been in his trailer yes. at that point, but he would always like watch Family Matters and, and would laugh and be like, "One day I'll work with that guy." Uh-huh. We can. We gotta hope. Yeah. I think so. And then at the end of the whole project, we can have them take a big group picture and then it'll just say, did I do that? And they did. And then we will digitally replace Julia White with Sonic the Hedgehog of course. in the photograph. Yes. And he'll get the photograph and he, he'll wonder what happened. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, I'd like to imagine that he doesn't know that he's being replaced by Sonic. Right. I'd like to imagine that he thinks he's going to be like in it whole face the whole time yeah like he thinks the dots all over is just a weird like a meta joke right yeah uh but and i think that like it'll be good publicity when he sues because of like defamation i think and also like you know false pretenses all that stuff right um it'll be the best pr yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> and then, and then, right when he tries to sue the production, then you're going to have on the other side of this production at least Sega and probably uh, Weta Digital and I don't know Warner Brothers. Sure, Warner Brothers will put this movie out. Yeah, and and all of uh, Time Warner countersuing, and you know he'll sit there in the in the wreckage of his life, uh-huh. cursing the day that he went to war against Andy Serkis. And uh, Claudio and <laughs> I, the rest of them. Yeah. 
I mean, all he has to do is just take the paycheck. Yeah, just you know? just take the paycheck and don't get litigious. Seriously. That's the, really the two rules of success in entertainment is you yeah. take the paycheck and you don't get litigious. Everyone fails that uh, that, that test, the test of time and anti-litigiousness. Yep. Those are the words I chose to use in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. <laughs> so this is... There's, this is an album of music. Um, yes. Um, I uh, so beyond beyond the the like backstory, which is long and and really interesting. Like they're, they're you know they have they've now started coming out with um, with graphic novels to tell the story of the Armory Wars. Right? Weren't there? It, it sounded like there were there was some version of this that existed, right? Some version of it in illustrated form, but then more recently they've decided we're going to essentially like redo the entire thing and put yeah. it out in, in bigger, more you know, like consolidated pieces. Yeah. So originally uh, there was a, it was, it was a very, I want to say like a demo, like proof of concept for second stage. Um, so you can, and you can still find it online some places. Um, and it has like basically the first act of second stage where Chloe and Cambria get found. Uh, you meet Kilgannon, or not you, Kilgannon, but uh, Wilhelm, uh, not General Mayo Deftonwolf yes. and Supreme Trimage Wilhelm Ryan. Ugh. How does one become a Supreme Trimage? Follow up question What is that? Well, it's three mages stuck together. And also with pepperoni, sausage, olives, and bell pepper. I see what you did. Thank you. That was great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it mostly there's mostly um, second stage content, and then after they finished, uh, I want to say yes, after they finished the whole concept, which was in uh, one, or well, technically. Um, Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4, um, which is the two-part album after uh, In Keeping Secrets. Okay. Um, so that was the end of the concept. Um, since uh, Year of the Black Rainbow is a prequel, it doesn't, it's in the world, but it's not, it's not Claudio's story. Um, and so after that, uh, Claudio decided to go back and revisit the the story, and he had more time. He ha- he was doing other stuff, and uh, basically had it re-illustrated, rewritten, and now it's a it's a, I want to say it's like a best-selling graphic novel. Um, so it's it's very popular, and now you're getting the full um, view of the album. When I was uh, when I got into it, in this this came out when I was in. High school. This was going to be my next big question for you is why this album? Like, why did you think I should prioritize checking this out? I wanted to know what it meant to you, what your early experiences were with it. And I was going to ask, was it a band that that you had with you through high school? And like, what does it connect to like uh, significant experiences that you remember, a specific time and place, feeling, yeah. um, et cetera? Yes. So, um, I actually discovered them in college. 
So I, I in high school, I was most I had just gotten introduced to to like rack rap rock, like because it was a big new new metal age. So like the Limp Biscuits, Corn, right. and all that stuff. I missed most of that. I never I heard little bits of it, and I never got too into any of it. Limp Biscuit occasionally. For oh, yeah. for the novelty of it, yeah. Not to not to uh, impugn any of them as artists, and certainly not to take a jab at anybody who is an unironic Limp Bizkit fan. But the appeal for me was always mostly novelty, yeah. And the rest of the similar acts, I just never felt like I gravitated towards. Yeah, I mean, and it makes sense. Like, at, at there were some people who were doing really original stuff. Like I think that Lincoln Park really found their uh, their voice, um, and, well, and they oh, hit they hit a niche that it felt like everybody was everybody was like circling that, yeah. and never quite hit the bullseye. And I feel like Lincoln Park really hit that in a way nobody else had figured out how to do. But like everybody was aiming towards, and we'd been building towards somebody getting getting to that yeah. target, and they were the first ones that that did that, and it was like oh. Dang, look at that. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about that band, which if you haven't heard many of their stuff, we can do a whole thing about them because I I have a lot of significant memories and, and thoughts about Linkin Park, especially after the passing of Chester. Of course. R.I.P., sad, sad, sad. Well, I feel like, I feel like Linkin Park was such a pivotal part of, of the... the, the formative experiences of like almost it seems almost everybody in our generation like five years on either side yeah and again i think it really is because it was it was something that everybody was waiting for without knowing they were waiting for it mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden there it was and like it it really tapped into if you're a lincoln park fan you don't need me to tell you this <laughs> it it really tapped into i think something that everybody feels when they're moving from childhood into adulthood and realize real start to realize gradually how not to be melodramatic but how crushingly painful life can be sometimes and yeah. how you have to find healthy ways to vent some of those feelings mm -hmm. and burn a lot of that off and i think L lincoln park's work really tapped into that feeling that everybody had i think that's part of why certainly not the only reason but part of why it seemed to connect with so many people as intensely as it did yeah um yeah and that feeling i also have for coheed's music which i only ran into by happenstance um a buddy of mine found a bunch of cds and he was like you like you like rock music right and I was like, yes, of course I do. It's pretty, it's a broad question, but yeah, let's see where this is going. Sure. Right. So he just gave me a bunch of CDs. And so one day I was bored. And so I was just popping them all in, listening to a few tracks, figuring out which ones I liked, which ones I didn't. And then the one of them was In Keeping Secrets. And so I just kind of started playing it. The first track really got me because I, I love orchestral music um music really helps me uh not just organize my emotions but also really inspires me to write and be creative and so the first track got me and and also the the title track in keeping secrets of uh silent earth 3 that 13 minute uh song 
got me so inspired that like I had to listen to the whole album. And so, and in listening to the album, it just got stuck in my head and I couldn't, uh, I, and it, it was inspiring me to, to like write so many things. And it also felt like it was speaking to me in that moment because some of the songs, um, were really like really tapped into kind of what I was dealing with at the time. Um, and I just felt like it resonated with me so much. And so as I got into this album, I started diving deeper into their lexicon because by this point they also had second stage. They also had both good Apollo and burning star four albums out. And so essentially I dove in and got encapsulated, I guess encapsulated is the word I'm looking for, enthralled with uh, how everything comes together, just like how the Claudio theme uh, starts from second stage and moves all the way through the very end of Burning Star 4. And just how like phrases, just little phrases that took place in one album will come full circle uh, in another album and have such a different meaning and such like a crushing, like there's a a track in the last album called the fall of house Atlantic, which if you remember the, there's a track on, um, on in keeping secrets, that is a favor in house Atlantic. So that's the first time you kind of get introduced to that house. And back when I was listening to it, the story was more ambiguous. Like it, 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 wasn't uh, something that like Claudio was overtly being like, this is what this means. And this is what that means. And this is this. And so it allowed you to kind of go in and take the phrases that he's using and apply it in any way you want. It's you could essentially create your own story from what's happening because the story itself was up to interpretation. The way that Claudio writes is that he first thinks of his own personal analog and then from there, he will uh, write the song, figure out the melodies. Um, and then uh, as he's going through it, he'll figure out where it fits in the story. Okay. So, so I mean, it, again, and it's like, I can't, I can't believe it took me until this conversation actually make the connection. Because I was trying to, in my defense, I was trying to keep all of the names straight in my head. Yeah. But of course, it, it completely tracks that if he's going to name the central character of the story after himself, there might be actually a specific intentional analog there. Yeah. And I could totally see, you know, uh, an element of this type of story, certainly as wish fulfillment. And wanting to propel yourself through this series of escalating heightened experiences. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it also... Uh, so if you follow the whole um, track... If you follow the whole story from beginning to end, it's also the story of his now current marriage, but his courting of um, his, his current wife. Um, so that is a lot of it. And so... In Keeping Secrets, there are love songs in there. Like uh, uh, The Light in the Glass is basically a love song. Um, it, it's about these two people who are together and, and them they're the love that they share and that person who leaves the light on for them and all that stuff. And so the if so second stage is him courting her. Um, in Keeping Secrets is uh, their relationship. And then Good Apollo is like the roughest patch that they have mm. um, in that there's there was a moment where um, 
where I guess she was he was he was ready to um, propose and she had cheated on him and so like Apollo good Apollo uh, for part one is so full of rage and angst and 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 just bitterness and then there's somewhat of a reconciliation in uh, good Apollo and burning star four um, and then by the time that you get to one um, or I keep calling it one but it's uh, it's Year of the Black Rainbow. Right. Um, by the time you get to the Year of Bla- the Black Rainbow, they're like almost there. They, they've figured out who they are together. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's blowing my mind how it seems like there really is not just within the storyline that this album tracks, but a- across a large section of their discography, this good large section of their discography. That's, there's this massive universe there yeah. of of massively interconnected continuity spread out across uh, multiple albums over multiple years in a way that, to my knowledge, is not done very often. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, somebody listening is probably being like, you fool, there's 15 bands that do this. If you were hipper, you'd know all of them. Get out of here, old man. <laughs> but I'm not familiar with that many. Right. I know there's some loose... There's some loose continuity that pops up between uh, King Diamond's albums occasionally, yeah. And once in a while, I think he did. I think I think he did an album that was a sequel to Abigail, um, but I don't know of too many others. I mean, I know that there are characters like David Bowie would take a number of personalities and reference them occasionally, like song to song, album to album, but not not like not to this level of of intricacy and and mythologizing and world building it would just be occasionally like major tom pops up in a couple of songs across his career yeah um but yeah i i have not seen too much of what what coheed and cambria is doing uh on the level the scope the scale that they're doing it in terms of storytelling yeah i i think that's the main appeal like for people who like your friend in high school probably couldn't get into them because of the high pitch uh, way that Claudio sings. Well, which would honestly have been a big turnoff for me at the time as well. But like I said, it reminds me more of, say, Getty Lee in Rush, to reference that again, um, than it does a lot of the the super high-pitched, whiny male vocalists that I, I think we saw a lot of around that time. Yeah. Um, but honestly, my guess, knowing my friend, my guess was at the time, and he's, he said he's softened on them a good deal since then, but I think at the time, maybe it's just that they weren't quite hard enough for his taste. Yeah. And uh, which I, which I get because he was in, was still is into some like really hard, like headbanging stuff. Uh, I was really surprised again, not knowing a whole lot about the band before I listened to this album, I was expecting, I was expecting something way more emo and whiny. And I was really surprised at how there is definitely some uh, heavily emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. There's definitely moments where they're letting out uh, fear, anguish, uh, things that are m- clearly meant to be a, a powerful rallying cry. But I was also surprised at, at the number of tracks that were real, just real upbeat. Yeah. Like a lot of the instrumentation was, was still uh, aggressive, uh, but, and you know, it hits hard, but a lot of it is a lo- was far jauntier mm-hmm. than I expected going in. 
Yeah, there's this moment, like, they go from the really sinister uh, Camper Valerium 3, Al the Killer, where it's like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, to uh, Favor House Atlantic, where it's just really, like, it's like a dance track. You know, like even in the video, it takes place in um, it takes place in a bar and people are just swinging their foot singing along, you know, um, and I, I like that because uh, you've, you've talked about how they there's this sweeping narrative across all of the albums. And it's interesting that they're able to keep that feeling and all the the like jaunty balance, the jauntiness and the, and the, the depth and also manage to uh, vary their style up from album to album, keeping it fresh without like, uh, and, and always finding a way to to grow as a band, which I think was is really interesting because especially if you're writing about the same subject, um, it's really difficult not to get in a rut and be like, yeah, 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 I'm just gonna throw in Claudio's theme, I'm just gonna throw in uh, Al the Butcher's uh, theme, uh, whatever, who cares, right? You know. Um, can I tell you a really funny story? Oh, I hope you do. Um, so this is this. I was reminded when we were talking about uh, when I was telling you about the, the relationship piece. So um, I was at a, a Coheed and Cambria concert uh, last year, um, and they just had a child, Claudio and his wife. Um, okay. Uh, yes, and so. Uh, the the most recent album that they came out with, there's a song that is basically like a love song to her, and there's another song that's basically like a love song to his son. Um, it's really cute, really adorable. Um, and so she's she's sitting. Uh, this is the troubadour, and uh, so she's basically sitting uh, in the private section. It's a very small venue. So I'm upstairs as well. And I can, I can see her sitting there as he's singing. And so during those songs, he's like pointing at her and, and like, she's like, Oh my gosh, how sweet. And then for the encore, he comes and plays two songs from, uh, good Apollo and burning star four, which are the songs specifically are fuck you songs to her. And so she like just has to sit there as he's singing these really like pissed off songs. And like at that point, she just gets on her phone. Oh, man. And doesn't even look up. That's but uncomfortable. Yeah. But they're fan favorites. They're like uh, one of them is uh, Welcome Home, which is one of the songs that got them on the charts. Like it's the one that most people know of when they hear Coheed and Cambria. And so they have to play it. Right. But she has to be there while he's like, um, it's great. What's the story there? <laughs> um, well, she she cheated on him, and so he, he like he killed her in the concept. So she was uh, one of the characters, and she was he wrote a song for her to um, to propose, which ends up being on. Uh, one of the albums it's called um wake up and so he goes to meet with her and she's like i did this thing and so then she breaks up with him and so he goes and he in order to like figure out how to deal with these feelings he writes this album and it is 
filled with so much pain and sadness and anger and, and things of that sort. And then he like kills that character. Um, and then after those albums, um, they like, they reconciled and they found a better place and, and she's his rock now and all that stuff. And they got married. Yeah. Um, so the next album is, is about that and that like is about their reconciliation, but it was a real rough patch for good Apollo. Right. And it's, it's a shame that fans latched on to those other songs so aggressively because now every show he essentially has to play them with her there. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's very rough. complicated. That's why you don't, it's like, it's unfortunate that the much of the best music is penned from, uh, personal intense experiences where artists are pulling from the emotions of their own, their own lives. Yeah. That's how we get some of the best art. Unfortunately, some of that art is based on real events and real people. And it, it I feel like it, that that's just awkward. That's just super <laughs> uncomfortable. And like, if everybody in the audience knows if you're a big enough fan, I assume a lot of people in that audience will know what the story is yeah and how many people if you were looking at her how many other people in that little venue do you think were also looking at her at that point that's gotta be difficult yeah i feel like if anything that's when you go to the bathroom and you're like i'm just gonna (laughs) let you guys do your thing and i'm not gonna be there Ooh. um but i that's one of my favorite coheed moments because it it in addition to being a fun, kitschy story, it also shows how far those their relationship has come. Sure. Like, she's featured on a lot of uh, his later works, and she, she has a song that she duets with him in the album. And so, like, she's now basically a part of the band. Um, so it, it it's not just... This story that happens in this epic and everyone loves the story of Claudio, the character. It's also the story, a triumphant story of Claudio, the man. And I think that's really sweet. It Uh, is. Yeah. Yeah. And because like when I was listening to to all of the albums, but like in Keeping Secrets, um, I was also going through Lady Troubles. I know. It happens. Tari Miller. Man with lady troubles. Like, yeah. Sometimes you don't feel so fresh. It's true. Yes. I don't. Um, Sometimes I just, sometimes you just feel like a nut. We're opening up a can of worms here. You don't. Um, No, but. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because we can, we can just descend that spiral staircase for another hour. Ooh, can we? No. Okay, fine. Um, Well, yeah. So. Having having been that person in that place, um, I feel like that's another reason why it resonated is beyond the fact that it's super inspiring. It also uh, hits all the feelings that I feel as a human uh, when I f- decide to be human. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what music is for in large part. Yeah. Well, is it though? Does music evoke emotion or does it elicit emotion? What's Oh, okay. For a second, I was like, what's the difference? I see the difference. Yeah. Both? <laughs> That's true. I don't think it's... I don't. Uh, those aren't binaries. Oh, yes, they are. You can't be an evoker if you're an eliciter. Yeah. Can you get that tattooed across your back? 
I can. Like from one, but like in big letters, like from one elbow to the other elbow, but across the back of your arms and the back, you know, your upper back area. That feels like a lot of trust. Those are some pretty big words and I don't really trust that like it won't be misspelled at some point. Not to disparage people who tattoo. Tattoo artists, yes. I'm just saying it's a lot of trust and I'm not a trusting guy. But how many people do you think that that read it once it's tattooed on your back how many people do you think are going to stand there behind you long enough to really uh, consider what the words are interpret it and piece together that it actually doesn't make much sense (laughs) well um i think that it will be mostly people at the gym sure because i stand in one place in in like a corner and i just put my arms out showing everyone my sweet sweet back muscles yeah um, because my back is the only part that I work out. So up from the front, all pudge from the back, all muscle. You're like Rambo. Yeah, exactly. So that's mostly what I do at the gym is I just show off my back muscles. I go into the sauna, show my back muscles. I go into the shower, show my back muscles. Like here's a guy who clearly wants us to comment on his upper back. Yeah. Yeah. And the text thereupon. <laughs> Uh, so it's it's rife for uh, meaningless dribble. And like on your fifth straight week of doing this around the locker room, finally somebody's like, we get it. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Wait, it doesn't? <laughs> and then and then you go back to the, the tattoo parlor. And you're like, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, I, I thought you knew. Yeah. I, I, no. <laughs> Did you see how much confidence I was like? Elicitors can't be ex- exuberers, and and then. Uh, but it's like, like it's like your confidence was so unflappable and infectious. I was equally confident after that, so we just pressed on. I mean, I thought you knew what you were doing. Technically, I guess if you say something enough, and if enough people say it then it becomes a saying, like it's a thing that people say. Right. Whether it's factual or not. You know, like I, at some point, someone had to be the first one to be like, if wishes were fishers, we'd all be in the water. <laughs> and then at a certain point, someone was like, that's stupid. But then someone else was like, whoa, wishes were fishes. Uh, we'd all have a boat. <laughs> that doesn't and really, that doesn't track at all. If it, wishes were fishes, then we would just be surrounded by fish on dry land. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what? It wouldn't, the saying isn't if, if wishes, I mean, it doesn't, this, it's like, it's not like the wishes turn into water. Why would we why would we be underwater? I the, get that it's like that's where the fish are, right. but it doesn't track. If the wishes were fishes, we're on dry land. Now, if we were in the water, there might be more fish in the water than no. there ordinarily were. The idea is that wishes are like fish themselves are wishes. In my head, the only, the way this tracks for me is all of our wishes, like the thoughts and feelings we have uh essentially exist at in proximity to, but outside our bodies, like these tiny little orbs of light, and each one of them turns into a fish and just flops to the ground next to us. Interesting. I think I I got what you were... I was picking up what you were putting down, but I imagined it as any time you said, I wish, a fish would come flopping out of your mouth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, that sounds more unpleasant than the, the nice glowing orbs of light. 
That's true. But yeah, essentially, same basic principle. We just ascend a new fish is created yes. and appears in proximity to where we wished. I'm just a little more grotesque than you are. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this. Uh, you're, you're the one who brought up the fishes and such. That's true. And so forth and so on. And so on. I'm thinking, too, if all of the wishes are fishes, then we've got a lot of extra fish lying around. But what's the success rate as far as these wishes actually coming true? Because people wish for any number of things every day, and many of these wishes don't come true. So does everything stay more or less the same, but there's a much greater abundance of fish? Because that's still fine. We could probably feed a lot of people with that's all of true. that extra fish. I mean, I feel like we'd solve world hunger. Dude, this is so a concept album. <laughs> If wishes were fishes, we'd feed the world. Can we get Claudio to write this? Uh, we can try. We'll uh, pitch it to him. <laughs> okay, I'll tweet at him. Like, make it about the Claudio character. Put Wilhelm and Major Mayonnaise in there. And, <laughs> yeah. and when we make the movie, it'll be the sequel to the one with Sonic the Hedgehog and Andy Serkis. Yes, I am into it. Um, but bef- so... Before we go, we did we did talk about this album a little bit. Yes, we, we did. totally did. Like I gushed about it real hard. Um, I gushed about the whole like pantheon. Nope. Um, the whole story of the Coheed and Cambria and the Armory Wars. I will say, you always ask me uh, if. Like when you when it's your turn to pick something for me to check out, you always ask if I would recommend it to other people. Yes. My assumption is anybody that I know that I would recommend this to was on it years ago. But what I would say for sure is if I now if I bumped into somebody and somehow it came up in a conversation and they had as little exposure to Coheed and Cambria as I had had. I would definitely encourage them to take a look because there's a lot more going on here than I anticipated. And I think other people might find it cool as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, a lot of people have misconceptions about Coheed and Cambria. They've probably just been like, it's a, it's a high pitched singy guy. Um, and they're the levels of their music. In addition to being super well composed and, uh, the writing being so cinematic and just well thought out. Um, it's, it's very cohesive. There's so much emotion in it. And I feel like it resonates with everyone, no matter who you are. Maybe you, maybe it takes you a little while to, to like sync your brain up with the, the vocal stylings of Claudio Sanchez. Um, but even, even if a song like, Let's say you were like, oh man, Favor House Atlantic has such a high-pitched thing. Get to the light in the glass where it's all a love ballad. There's a there's a there's a song for everyone on this on this album, but in their whole range of albums. I mean, if you're only into Garth Brooks, I mean, I don't know if maybe I don't know what your your entry point would be, but I'd still say give it a shot. Yeah. You may learn that there are other artists than than Garth Brooks. No disrespect to Garth Brooks, who's built a phenomenal career and with good reason. It's true. Um, if you're a big Garth Brooks fan, I say uh, the crowning, the, the crowing is good for you. I now, what would a Coheed and Cambria Garth Brooks collaboration sound like? We can. Why don't we have Garth Brooks do a song on the the Wishes Fishes concept album? Okay, 
I feel like, come on, that's a whole demographic that I feel like maybe we're not reaching otherwise. That's true. We got to we got to get that that Brooks bump. That's Ooh. what we need. We need the Brooks. Bond. Yeah, yeah, you need your you need your influencers, and Garth Brooks is the ultimate. It's quite possibly the longest sustained period of time during which I've thought about Garth Brooks, maybe ever. Oh yeah, yeah. not even during his like weird emo rocker phase. What didn't he? That was Garth Brooks, right? That's something else I missed out on. This oh, sounds perfect. Man. This sounds yeah. like a match made in the South. Hmm. <laughs> No thanks. <laughs> but okay, I have I have one more question for you. Yeah. Um, not as applies specifically to this album, but I wanted to ask you really quickly about concept albums in general and about like are there any if somebody asked you what your favorite concept album was, maybe you'd pick one of Coheed and Cambria's, but are there other concept albums by other artists that have grabbed you in a way, maybe not to the same extent, but in a way you find similar? Um, let me think. That's a, that's an interesting question. So I, I do gravitate towards concept albums. And even if an album isn't a concept album, I find myself layering in my own concepts. Um, so slightly related to Coheed, I had mentioned earlier that they have their own record label. And so they signed this band called Thank You Scientist and their albums, um, the, the lead singer has a very Claudio feel to him, um, but their songs, they feel like a jam band version with the addition of their seven-piece band uh, with a violinist and a trumpeter. Maybe I'll have you do that one next. Um, but Thank You Scientist, their music and their albums feel like they have a very rich concept, specifically the one that they just came out with, um, earlier this year or earlier late last year um stranger heads prevail uh and so that is probably up there but i think that if if i were to choose one that really without uh its own universe that's been created there's a concept album francis the mute by the mars volta which is essentially most of the lyrics are a combination of English and Spanish, and it's based on this diary that the lead singer found in a car, and it's the it's the story about this guy's journey to find his true parents. Um, he was, I think he was, if I remember correctly, he was an immigrant, um, and he was looking for his parents uh, either in America or Mexico, and um, he chronicled the whole thing. And you never really know if he made it because that the diary doesn't go that far. But like that concept album, it it's really instrumentally it's really striking. Like this is the one I think I I think I'd mentioned uh, on another episode that has the thirty minute song with about six minutes of uh, words and then twenty uh, something minutes of just instrumental. This vaguely rings a bell? Yeah. Um, so Francis the Mute is probably one of my favorites um, by by Mars Volta and also one of my favorite concept albums because it's it's a lot of things that I don't... It, it, it's a lot of things that you don't encounter very often. Um, it's 
very exciting instrumentally. The the vocals are amazing. The lead singer of uh, the Mars Volta, his voice ranges so much. Like he can go really deep. He can go really high. Um, and there's just a certain melancholy to some of the songs that like hit you really deeply in the heart. Um, and so that I feel like is probably one of my favorites. And I would love to have you do I'd love to do an episode on just the Mars Volta as well. Okay. Um, because they... It's another band that I, I, to my knowledge, have never really listened to at all. Ooh, girl, you, 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 you missing out. Girl, you, you, you don't even know. Uh, girl, mm. you don't even know. But yeah, so that is the answer to that question. Um... Before we go, do you have any last comments? No, I mean I think I hit I hit most of my my bigger thoughts. And like I said, I really I actually would encourage people to look into what Coheed and Cambria has done creatively because I think it's really interesting. And again, I'm sure I'm gonna go home tonight and I'm gonna think of like ten artists that have done concept albums where they continue a story from one album to another. But again, I'm not familiar with anything this sprawling yeah uh in this way so yeah like i said i would definitely encourage people who have maybe held back uh maybe slept on them for a decade and a half um yeah go go give it a look because it still may not be necessarily your cup of tea but i think you would have to tip your hat to how ambitious an overall project it is yeah uh i'd agree and i this being one of my all-time favorite albums um I as I I would recommend it as I did to Lex, and I'd also just encourage you to really get into Coheed. Keep them keep them making albums, cause I I need them in my life. If they were gone, I'd be sad, uh, and you'll be sad once you start, and then you get deep in this world, and oh man, you you don't even know. You just need it. <laughs> you need it. You need it. You need it like bread. Um, it was a dough joke um, because you need bread. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, the audience got it. Keep up, Lex. Um, anyway, oh. that wraps us up. <laughs> um, let us know what you thought of the album and also what you think of uh, the phrase, if wishes were fishes. Let, let me know what your interpretation of that is. Um, you can hit us up at Missing Outcast, that's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T on Twitter. And then you can also hit us up on our personal Twitters, uh, which is, mine is Tari J, T-A-R-I-J-A-Y. And I am all over social media at the Lex Michael. Awesome. And again, uh, I have to encourage you to please uh, go onto iTunes and leave us a leave us a rating, leave us a comment, uh, five stars if you love what we're doing. Uh, that just keeps us uh, making these episodes, and it it helps other people find it, and lets us introduce other people to stuff they're missing out on. So uh, don't be sleeping on this, son. Leave us some comments. Leave us some some uh, ratings, bro. Let us let us skyrocket to the top, baby. You know, don't be holding us back. Bond, bond with your enemies. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Like bread. <laughs> Bye.